Welcome to Sportsbeat KC, the Kansas City Star's daily sports podcast. It's Thursday, October 14th, and I'm Blair Kirkhoff. Three college football teams in search of their first conference victory take the field on Saturday. All are betting underdogs. Missouri is home to Texas A&M, and the Aggies are coming off one of college football's biggest victories this season. A&M defeated top-ranked Alabama last week. Does that mean the Aggies, a nine-point favorite, should easily take care of Mizzou? Will there be a hangover? And are the Tigers ready to step up in a big way? Lila Bromberg, who covers Missouri, breaks it down. Kansas State plays home to Iowa State in a rivalry affectionately known as Farmageddon. Kellis Robinette tells us this series has been tight, tight, tight over the past several years, and we expect another close one in Manhattan on Saturday, even though the Cyclones are a six-point favorite. KU plays host to Texas Tech, and the recent history of this series suggests the Jayhawks have a victory opportunity here. As bad as Kansas has been, well, for more than a decade, these teams have split the previous two games, each winning on their home field by a field goal. Tech is a 16-point favorite in this one. Jesse Newell breaks down and shares some basketball news as well. So let's get started talking colleges. Kellis Robinette covers K-State for the Wichita Eagle and the Kansas City Star, and he's covering Armageddon uh, this weekend at Bill Snyder Family Stadium. I love the nickname. I've always loved the nickname. The first time I heard it, I just thought, wow, I, I wish I knew who coined it because I would have shaken that person's hand. I just <laughs> think it was it, it's really clever. And, and look, it seems like the schools embrace it. They, at least they don't resist it. So. Here we are, Farmageddon. Do you like it? Yeah, it, it's been around since 2009, I think. That's the first time I ever remember seeing it when they um, played in Arrowhead Stadium for two years there. And somebody, I think it was a Kansas State fan, came up with the term, um, put it on one of the message boards, and it spread like wildfire. So, I mean, hey, I, I love that it's that that's, it looks like where it started, and it, it's taken off so much. I still remember. I'll have to share it again on Twitter. I think I think I still have it in my phone, but Fox had this amazing promo for it last year where they had an animated wildcat driving a tractor and an animated red bird driving a tractor. And they're coming at each other at midfield. They crash in this explosion right before the Farmageddon thing comes out. I'll have to go find it. That was one of the more amazing game graphics I've ever seen. You know, you, you referred to those that game at Arrowhead. There were two, right? There was a each each school gave up a home game and it was and 2009 and 2010, and K-State won both of those games. Look, uh, but this series uh, has been pretty tight. As you wrote, you wrote a really neat story this week about it, how how close this series has been in recent years, just not only in, 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 in wins and losses, but even down to the points scored. Um, and it coincides really with, uh, with uh, Matt Campbell getting to Iowa State and you know, the final years of, of Bill Snyder at uh, at k-state so just tell us talk about how close this series has been well i mean throughout last year's game that was the only one that hasn't been close because k-state took like two linebackers and you know no starting quarterback to the game um, that was lopsided but other than that um they've gone back and forth uh, over the last so in the four years preceding that game they've split iowa state's one two Kansas state's one two alternating had some great innings. Skyler Thompson had a walk-off win here where they won by one point with a touchdown on the final play of the game. The next the next season, what turned out to be Bill Snyder's final game, he blows, I believe it was a 21-point lead with 10 minutes to go in the fourth quarter. 
and, and Matt Campbell finally was the coach who could rise up and actually beat Kansas State. Um, then the year after that, they they come in here and Iowa State's ranked. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure they were ranked in that game. And Kansas State and Iowa State were really fighting for bowl, for bowl position. Who was going to get the uh, the invite to the lucrative? Oh, what's it even called now? The Camping World Bowl in Florida. That's the one they wanted. It was the winner was supposed to go there. The loser was supposed to go to Memphis. And Kansas State won close. But then Iowa State used uh, some better politicking in the, the weeks ahead and got the Camping Bowl spot anyway and uh that that even added more fuel to the fire i think uh i, I mean it, it's just crazy how close a lot of these games have been i remember the time when in, in paul rhodes's final game when they had a big lead on kansas state and couldn't hold it and just had an epic choke job in kansas state one it just seems like there's a wacky ending is always coming in this game kansas is always going to be kansas state's biggest rival they're the closest team they're the team everybody hates but if you're lo- looking for a rival just purely based on competitive games and you know mutual respect and you know some some lighthearted fun back and forth between the fan bases i think this is the best one they've got going i agree i, I really do um so kansas state if i if i did my uh, addition correctly even as, as close as the series has been in recent years Kansas State's actually won like 22 of the last 27 or so, something like that. But overall, Iowa State leads the series 51-49 with four ties. Wow. So that's how, you know, that's how close it is between the, these two schools. And Kansas State has, like I said, dominated in you know the recent decades. And, and that's with Iowa State having Dan McCartney and Paul Rhodes, Gene Chizik for a couple of years. You know, teams that went to bowl games for Iowa State and Kansas State also always seem to find a way to win, but it has tightened up and these games are really entertaining. They're high level games. They're, these are programs that, um, that expect to be in bowl games every year. That wasn't always the case, certainly with the, on Iowa state's end, but now these are, these are two programs that, that, that totally expect that. So Kansas state's got the week off uh, having lost to Oklahoma last time out. I really liked what I saw on the offensive end from Kansas State in that game, but now they're taking on an Iowa State defense that's probably the best in the Big 12. I think if there's a the the marquee matchup is the K-State offense against the Iowa State defense, don't you think? I do, and what makes it interesting is that Iowa State is um, you know very good at taking away the run, which we've seen that's what Kansas State tr- struggles with when they can come out and impose their will on other teams, run the ball, control clock, play from ahead. They've looked really good. That's what they did against Stanford. It's what they did against Southern Illinois. It's what they did against Nevada. It's why they started 3-0, and even against a pretty pretty good non-conference slate. Then they play Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, two teams that can stop the run. And especially against Oklahoma State when they couldn't throw the ball, Kansas State really didn't have a chance. Last week, they get Scotty Thompson back. They pushed Oklahoma quite a bit harder. But, you know, it's going to be the same deal this week. Iowa State has a very good run defense. They allow less than two yards per rush. So how is Kansas State going to counteract that? Do they come out throwing the ball like they did last week? Do they get Skyler maybe a little bit more involved in the QB run game and open up a few lanes for, for Deuce Vaughn and Joe Irvin on some misdirection plays? It'll be a very interesting uh, chess match, and it's one that it will be much more intriguing now that Skyler Thompson is back. You put this in a story this week, and I guess I hadn't realized. It just seemed like every week Kansas State was playing someone good but you quantified that a little bit. I mean, they they really have played one of the nation's most most difficult schedules so far. And um, you know, at the time, Stanford, we just thought, they, they must not be any good. And they've turned around and had a couple of good wins in Nevada. 
still the only loss Nevada's had, right? And mm-hmm. um, even Southern Illinois got a winning record. So, and then and then Kansas State opens up against Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, and Oklahoma, and right now they're the top two ranked teams in in the Big Twelve. So, from a you know, and from that perspective, Kansas State can't shouldn't feel bad about its record or down about how it's playing and and there is some opportunity on the schedule here in the second half there is and it's the exact same story for iowa state i think that's another element that makes this game more interesting and so close is that so both teams come in with three and two records right people are really down on iowa state they're not this playoff contender that everybody thought they were but at the same time their only losses are at home against iowa who's ranked number two in a game where they turn the ball over like crazy don't normally do that. Iowa, for whatever reason, does that to everybody. They force 10 turnovers against every team they play. They win all the rest of their games except for Baylor. They go on the road lose to them by two on kind of a fluke ending where they outgain Baylor all game. They just can't close the door on them. But Baylor's ranked right now. So what do you make of that? A team that, you know, they're not ranked right now. They've got two losses against really good teams. Kansas State, same deal. They've beaten the three teams that they were supposed to beat. They lost close to Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. They're both in the top 15. So we're going to learn a lot about these two teams right here. Um, but you you are most definitely right. If Kansas State is going to put a run together and, you know, make an attempt at winning eight, nine games, something like that, I think this is a must for them. I don't think it's a must-win game. I think they can still get to a bowl, bowl without it. I think they can still have a winning season without it. But if you're going to get up there and really surprise people and get back in the rankings with eight or nine wins, now's the time to move. they got Iowa State, Texas Tech, TCU, Kansas, and West Virginia up next. Those are all five winnable games. You started off with a win over Iowa State. You can set yourself up very nicely right there. Maybe you've written this, and I, I didn't notice, but I it, but I'm seeing it now. I didn't realize that Iowa State is um, is healthy a favorite in this game. A little high, that more of a line than I expected here. More of a, a margin than I expected. Yeah, and the surprising thing is that I believe it opened at Iowa State minus three and a half, and it's pretty much doubled now. They're at Iowa State minus six. So the smart money, as you say, is on the Cyclones as a road favorite here, which typically actually works out for Kansas State pretty well. I mean, home underdogs against comparable teams, they typically come out and find a way to win. Um, But yeah, I was a little bit surprised by that too. I would side more with the original line than the current one of six. Yeah, that that's that's a healthy. Maybe, I don't know, if Oklahoma left a bad impression and, you know, maybe Kansas State beat the wrong quarterback against Oklahoma. You know, they beat the guy that can't even start anymore for the Sooners. Who knows? Right. right. So, but, I mean, yeah, you talk about a six-point spread. Again, if you throw out last year's game, the last six games in the series were, dev- were um, decided by 10, 4, 1, 5, 3, and 4 points. So if that holds, I mean, it seems like pretty easy money K-State's going to cover. Farmageddon, baby. Farmageddon. All right, Kellis, great catching up with you. We'll do it again next week. You too, Blair. Looking forward to it. Lila Bromberg covers Mizzou for the star, and you covered your first victory last weekend. How about that? Uh, Mizzou beat North Texas on homecoming, and look, there were some things not to like about it, but there were more things to like, especially on the defensive side. What was what was Eli Drinkwitz most pleased about uh, after that uh, North Texas W? Yeah, I think they were pleased with the defense a lot more until kind of the end of the fourth quarter when they went from having a 41 to 14 lead to then letting North Texas get the amount of points they did on the board. But overall, it seemed like they were really pleased, especially with how the defensive line performed. Obviously, that had been a huge issue earlier in the season with rushing yards allowed and leading to the 
firing of Jeffro Franklin. So, you know, this was a big week for that group to see what they could do now with um, Al Davis in there uh, as position coach. And he was really impressed with, you know, the tackles, the 10 tackles for loss that they were able to get. The defense was able to force uh, three turnovers, um, including Makai Wingo, a defensive lineman who's a freshman who um, ended up getting a interception and return for touchdown and called himself a running back after. So, you know, there, there were still very much concerns with the defense in terms of the yards they ended up giving up as a whole and kind of them letting off. But you saw more positives than you had seen in, in recent weeks. Um, Cause I think in the recent performances before that, there weren't really any positives to take away with the defense. So, you know, at least they're kind of, it seemed like they're making strides there, but uh, you know, that's against North Texas. So who knows until you really get into SEC play going forward. Right. Right. I was going to say there's a quality of competition uh, component that we've got to apply here. But Missouri, after you know getting battered by Tennessee and and beaten by Boston College and Kentucky before that, they just needed some good news and need to feel good walking off a football field, and that's what happened on Saturday. We 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 can't talk about Missouri's success without mentioning Tyler Batty. He's just he just continues to be terrific, doesn't he? Yeah, I mean he's really good. After the game, Eli Drinkwitz said that he's the like least talked about player in the country that's this good. You know, like he had over. He had 217 yards in that game, which was a career high. Um, Second game, he's had over 200 yards this season. He's, you know, not only just contributing as a running back, but having receiving touchdowns. I mean, anything you have him in, he's been good for them so far. He struggled a bit in one of the games um, against Tennessee in a game where really the offense all struggled. But outside of that, he's by far been the bright spot for this team. And really, I think has surprised a lot of people, you know, filling in for Larry Roundtree, there were questions and he put on weight over the offseason and um, has, has really proven himself. And I think exceeded a lot of people's expectations. For sure. And for Drinkwitz to say what he did after the game, that's that's a message that plants the seeds for all conference honors, that kind of thing. And, um, and he's certainly deserving of being in the conversation and have all due consider, no matter what happens to the Tigers this mm-hmm. season, Tyler Batty has to be considered for, for postseason honors. And speaking of quality of, of opposition, um, Missouri faces the team that just beat the number one team yeah. in the country on Saturday, 11 a.m. kick at uh, Faroe Field. Texas A&M is coming in. Before we talk about the Aggies, let's, uh, you are working on a story about the last time Missouri and Texas A&M played. You're, you're covering Mizzou and the SEC for the first time, but uh, you, you surely knew or have now know that in the SEC, teams can miss each other on the schedule for years and years. Missouri and A&M haven't played since 2014. The last time they met, it was a pretty significant day for Mizzou. Yeah, so, well, the last time that Texas A&M came to Columbia. Columbia. That's what I should yeah, say. Yeah, came to Columbia in 2013. Um, you know, that was the game that Mizzou won to win the SEC East in their second year of the conference and, and go to the title game where they'd end up losing to Auburn. But, you know, it was a really exciting game. You had Henry Josie with a game winning touchdown after everything that had happened in his career. And, you know, I talked to him and he'll be in that story. And so going to be looking at what went into that season and that victory coming later this week. It interested me just because, you know, the progress of programs year by year, you kind of looked at that point and it, you didn't really know how they were going to do in the SEC that first year, then had some really good years. And now you're kind of back at a spot where, 
you know, winning the SECE seems kind of far and that's kind of where we're trying to get back to right now. So, you know, kind of some interesting uh, dialogues in there. Yeah, you're right. I mean, that was uh, Mizzou had left the Big 12 after the 11-12 season and first year in the SEC was under 500. But their second year, Gary Pinkle put together Mm -hmm. a heck of a team and really good on defense. And they get to uh, play in the SEC title game. Uh, losing losing to Auburn, which went on to win the went on to play in the national championship game, losing to Jimbo Fisher's Florida State team, and Jimbo Fisher, of course, is now the Texas A&M coach. So I'm really looking forward to reading that, uh, Lila. That'll be fun. What do we know about this Aggies team that that uh, just knocked off Alabama? They were ranked early, you know, they were top ten team in the first few weeks of the season, but then stumbled. But man, they got it back in a big way last weekend. Yeah. So, you know, they started as a team that was 0-2 in SEC play, losing to Arkansas and Mississippi State. And, you know, no one's expecting them to beat Alabama. Alabama and Georgia have been those had been those two teams that really had stood out above anyone in the country and just kind of looked on another level and, you know, very able to pull off the huge upset at home. Um, and I think that's going to be a big factor coming into this game is you know, even if they're four and two, not necessarily where they wanted to be on the season with those two losses to start SEC play. When you get a win over a team like that, the dynasty that Alabama has been, I mean, that's got to do huge things for your confidence. I mean, I expect a, a team to come in that's really just kind of clicking in all cylinders, whereas yours having Missouri as a team that's kind of trying to build back their confidence. So I think that's an interesting dynamic to this game. Yeah, the flip side of the coin is Texas A&M got a victory for the ages, what will have been seven days earlier, mm-hmm. and now they're coming to a you know a, a place where they haven't been. None of these players or coaches have been here uh, as tech as, as Aggies, right? And I wonder if uh, there'll be a little bit of a hangover from from yeah, the that's a good point. That had. I just it's something to keep an eye on, and usually that uh, you, you see that in the first couple of series of a game to see how you know just how interested they are in in playing. But they have resurrected their season after, like I said, a good start, top ten, and then and then getting it handed to them by Arkansas and Mississippi State. They're they're back, and every every conversation you want to have about you know who's among the best in college football. I'm a top 25 voter. They had fallen out of the polls. I didn't know where to put A&M back in the mm-hmm. top 25. I think I had them at 20 or 19. And they're either 20 or 21. I, I can't remember where they are in the AP this week. 21. 21. Okay. So, but not many programs have had a victory as impressive as A&M this year. I'm looking forward to covering it with you, Lila. We will see you Saturday. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, it's Blair. We have a special subscription offer for Sportsbeat KC listeners, unlimited digital access to the Kansas City Stars award-winning sports coverage. 
Sign up now for one year of Sports Pass for access to all the sports news, features, and columns presented on the KansasCity.com site, and it's only $30. That's a 40% savings off our regular rate. Your subscription will automatically renew after the initial term at $50 unless you tell us to cancel. Your subscription helps support the sports coverage of KansasCity.com and the Kansas City Star, and that support has never been more important. Please visit KansasCity.com slash offer to get this special offer. And as always, thanks for listening. Jesse Newell's here, covers KU for the Star and the Wichita Eagle. Hey, Jesse, um, Kansas coming off that, you know, lopsided loss to Iowa State a couple weeks ago. They had the week off. And now they're taking on a Texas Tech team that is kind of interesting to me when I look at some previous results in the Kansas-Texas Tech series. Look, there's there's no way to project a victory for Kansas. I'm sure they're a what are the best 16-point underdog in this game. But if you were looking at Kansas in the preseason and trying to identify games that could break their way, I think this is one of them. Yeah, and you're right. The recent history would give you a little bit of hope if you're Kansas. Um, last year was their most competitive game of the season. Uh, lost 16-13 to 13 at Texas Tech. The year before is the kind of crazy field goal game where KU tried a game-winning field goal, got it blocked. Texas Tech tried to return it and tried to lateral it fumbled the ball, KU recovered, and then kicked another game-winning field goal uh, and won the game in that one. So, yeah, sometimes this happens. You know, for whatever reason, there's certain matchups or certain teams that you you match up better against or you feel like your odds are a little bit better. And we've talked about that with Baylor. Baylor's been the opposite of Kansas. Baylor just blows KU out of the water, it seems like, every single year. Texas Tech has been the opposite end of the spectrum. And I still think you're right that uh, if you're looking at sort of the advanced rankings and what's out there, Texas Tech is – Probably the most winnable game left on KU's schedule. So it's probably not particularly encouraging or heartening for Kansas to look up and say, hey, even at home, you're a 16-point underdog to the next worst team in the Big 12. I mean, it just kind of shows you that canyon between what are the other nine teams in the Big 12 and where Kansas is right now. And that's the rebuilding job that Lance Leipold took over. And unfortunately for Kansas fans, that's sort of the reality they face at this point in in the rebuild. Canyon. I like that. It is a grand canyon of... (laughs) Distance between 10 and 9. But, you know, for Kansas to be this big an underdog at home against the team, the next team up in the standings, it's a pretty vivid indicator of how far the Jayhawks have to go and what Lance Leipold inherited at at KU. Um, But, you know, some good things have happened for Kansas this year, and they are getting some, some good play from running back Devin Neal. You know, he was over 100 yards a couple of games ago, Had uh, was over 80 against Iowa State, which, you know, plays terrific defense, maybe the best defensive team in the Big 12. they got to be happy with what they're seeing from Devin Neal. Yeah, he's one of the highlights of the season. And as a true freshman, uh, he holds obviously a lot of value for Kansas because he is coming in as the top player in the state of Kansas. He was a consensus four-star recruit. He's from Lawrence. And, you know, he's lost those kids recently, that they haven't been able to land them. And so for Lance Leipold, you know, you look around and it's a tough deal for them right now. I mean, we've talked about how this is the opposite for KU basketball. You know, KU basketball with a one-time transfer rule can kind of go out and say, hey, uh, let's go take Drake's best player. Let's go take Iowa State's second best player. Let's go take Arizona State's best player and and, and kind of just feed off of other teams. And, and Kansas is on the opposite end of that, where it's like, 
hey, potentially at the end of this season, if they have two or three good players that perform, other schools will start looking at those players and say, hey, well, you know, maybe there's an opening at, at our school to, to go take that player and say, hey, w- would you want to play on a winning program? Would you want to go play with other talented guys? So it's tricky for Kansas right now because um, they could have that very much work against them and sort of be a theater program if they don't build the relationships up with these players that they need to. But Devin Neal's the exception. You know, a kid from Lawrence grew up wanting to be a Jayhawk, you know, has these photos online on Twitter and everything, Instagram, where, you know, he was eight years old in front of the Jayhawk statue. So he really can be kind of a pillar for them and a selling point for the program and somebody you expect to stick around for, you know, three, four, five years, that sort of thing, and, and help bring guys in that are local. And the Kansas City area in particular in Kansas, the 2023 recruiting class, it's right now shaping up to have some of the most talent that uh, the area has had in quite some time. So again, for Devin Neal, for him to be able to progress week by week, to see running lanes better, to listen to his coaches, and you can see like he's running with his pad level lower, he's breaking through arm tackles, doing things just week to week better and being that sort of listener and, and a guy that is making those progressions. I think that has to be one of the major encouraging signs of the program through whatever this is, five weeks. And then the coaches have kind of a lot of the run blocking as well. I mean, for them to block better run blocking wise against Iowa State, as you said, top five in the nation in rush defense than they did against South Dakota early in the season. That's an that's an encouraging sign. And KU is starting to get done offensively what it wants to get done, which is establish the run, get that going, and then kind of build things off from there. Well, it's progress, right? Hey, so back to something you just said, uh, are, are you confident that this Kansas coaching staff can take advantage uh, in some way of the talent that's going to be in this region or is in this region and will be uh, making college decisions here soon? Yeah, so it's it's a little tricky, too. Um, so they, the coaching staff got in late. So the 2022 class is going to be very difficult for them to pull those guys in. Right. Anyway. And then what I think a lot of people don't understand is, you know, there's been so many stories done. I've done a lot of them about KU and the scholarships and now they haven't hit up against 85. But there have been a lot of good things that have fallen into place recently for Kansas that is going to allow them a different situation under Lance Leipold than they've had previously. One of the major ones is just the COVID rule and getting an extra year. So now um, all those guys on your roster potentially, I mean, you know, you don't want a pandemic to happen. KU would have really benefited if this pandemic happened four or five years ago. They could have caught up on scholarships a lot easier. Plus, we talk about Les Miles. He brought in all freshmen in the last two recruiting classes. So KU is actually at a point right now where they need to sort of balance classes rather than just only bring in freshmen and I think you're going to see Lance Leipold and his staff be aggressive in some some manners that that previous coaches like Les Miles weren't as apt to do because of the scholarship situation they face. KU's in a better scholarship situation. They're going to be butting up against 85 pretty quickly here. They more need to balance those numbers out so that you can kind of bring in year by year by year and, and have those kind of things line up. So I think you'll see them hit the Juco market. I think you'll see them look for transfers. And some of the most successful players KU has on this year's team are what we call up transfers. You know, guys that came from Buffalo or in Jason Bean's uh, case from North Texas, who were a group of five players who want to get the opportunity to, to prove themselves at the power five level. And, and KU can obviously be kind of a, a nice landing spot for them. But as far as 2023 goes, you know, um, it's like anything else. Uh, Jake Schoonover, I wrote a story about him a, a few months ago. He's from this area. He's known the Casey area a long time. He's their special teams coach. They're going to focus on local recruiting. 
you get those guys into the program. They care a little bit more about it. And that's really how K-State has built up a lot of its programs and won a lot of these rivalry games is that they've had guys that, that are from the area and really care. And so KU's going to, I think, definitely put his focus on that class. But like I said, they're going to sort of diversify their portfolio here. So don't be surprised at all if even starting this offseason, if KU's looking at the JUCO ranks, if KU is looking at up transfers and filling their, their numbers that way, and then looking 2023, especially at the local kids and trying to take some of those talented people there because it, it's sort of two for one, like the Devin Neal's of the world. They help you recruit. Uh, they, they know the area and they play for the state of Kansas, which is one of this uh, coaching staff's mottos, which uh, obviously is, is really great when you can land those sorts of kids. No doubt. OK, hey, there was some basketball news today too, Jesse. The Big 12 announced their uh, preseason awards. I should put their, their honors. They're not awards. You don't get an award for them, but it's a recognition, a recognition of anticipation. The Big 12 preseason basketball player of the year was identified as Remy Martin, who's never played a game in the Big 12, uh, but has been an all Pac-12 performer at Arizona State the last couple of years. And uh, of six-man all-conference all first team, David McCormick and uh, Ochai Agbaji uh, also on the team. So that seems to bode well for Kansas to have half of the, the first team all preseason all-conference and to have the preseason player of the year. I'm sure Bill Self would say, you know, means nothing. And he, he would be right. It does mean nothing. It means nothing other than respect from other coaches at this point. Uh, the Remy Martin thing is going to be fascinating. You know, I was talking about this um, recently with somebody, and it's it's not something that Bill Self has kind of had to this level where he brings in a player who, obviously, the immediate eligibility rule hasn't been in place for that long. But you bring in a transfer who is expected to step in as a team leader, a leading scorer, a distributor, and as potentially the player of the year. I mean, I guess I'm thinking like a guy like Diedrich Lawson did that sort of thing, but even then he sat out a year and KU kind of knew what it was getting in practices and the motivation there was a little bit different. I mean, Diedrich was still kind of pushing a professional career, didn't really know where he was at in that point. And where Remy Martin, he already kind of declared for the pros and then came back to come to Kansas for this year. Didn't arrive on campus until August, has been battling an ankle injury. So this is interesting. You know, this is, I don't, I don't know how this is going to play out. And I think for Kansas and Texas, both, I think for the coaches, it's sort of difficult to pick out who are going to be the top two, three players at Kansas and Texas. I mean, Chris Beard and Bill Self both sort of had the same formula this offseason. They just grabbed a bunch of players, threw them on the roster, and they figured that they would figure things out later. So uh, it wouldn't surprise me at all if, if there's different players. Like, what if Jalen Wilson emerges this year? Would that sh shock anybody? Could he be a first-team player? Absolutely. You know, what if Ochai Abaji kind of goes back to his 2020 role and becomes the third option offensively and, uh, you know, maybe takes a, a half step back when it comes to uh, scoring because he doesn't have to go out there and do all those sorts of things. I mean, that wouldn't shock me either. So, um, again, it's respect from the coaches. It's respect from those people thinking that Kansas is going to be pretty good this year. But yeah, as of right now, still a lot of question marks on how this is all going to shake out. And I think you saw that in the team. And I think you're going to even hear that when talking to Bill Self, even when it comes to Big 12 Media Day, which is already coming up next week. Yep, next week, next uh, Wednesday in, in Kansas City, which means basketball is that much closer to tipping off. All right, Jesse, great stuff. Thanks, buddy. All right, thanks, Blair. That'll do it for today. Thanks to our Sportsbeat KC production staff of Beth Welsh, Monty Davis, Jeff Rosen, and Chris Fickett. A tip of the cap to Lila Bromberg, Jesse Newell, and Calvis Robinette for stopping by and talking colleges. Links to their stories can be found in the show notes and on kansascity.com. So let's talk about the morning sports edition. If you're not seeing it, you're really missing out. 
On KansasCity.com, go to the Stars E-Edition. That's a replica of the printed newspaper on your screen that comes with your digital subscription. Now there's an updated sports section produced separately that goes along with it. When you open the E-Edition, there's a box in the upper right-hand corner that says All Editions. Click on that and you can access about, I don't know, anywhere from 15 to 20 to 30 pages of sports. Maybe you get a link in the email. I do. It's always there by about 6, 6.30 every morning. But however you get it, it's access to the complete coverage of the previous day's sports news, features, statistics, everything. It's fantastic. Hey, listen, thanks for reading The Star and listening to our podcast lineup. You're helping support the best sports and news coverage in Kansas City. And we couldn't produce programs like Sports Beat KC without you. We'll be back on Friday breaking down the Chiefs game Sunday against Washington. Hope you'll join us.